As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a handbrake off. Hello, I'm Ian Stone, and this is Handbreak Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Well, it had to happen, kids. We lost the game. Uh, We'll talk about last night's horrible game at PSV, and we'll be asking if there are any positives to take forward to Nottingham Forest on Sunday. Uh, No is, I think, the answer to that. There aren't, really. (laughs) Maybe our guests will find one or two. Uh, Because we have different guests uh, from Monday, we'll chat again about transfer targets as well and where we need to tighten up. And obviously, after watching last night's game, I think there are areas where that might help. It is uh, a slightly special edition of Handbrake Off, uh, because as well as being joined by a man who hot-footed it back from Eindhoven last night, uh, yes, you actually watched that live, didn't you? Uh, the athletic writer, James McNicholas. Hello, James. Yeah, I had the dubious pleasure of being in Eindhoven uh, to witness that in the flesh. You suffered, so we didn't have to. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Uh, we're also joined by a man who I've got to know a little bit in the last few weeks, uh, celebrating in hostelries around the Emirates Stadium after fantastic wins over Spurs and Liverpool. And at one of those celebrations, I asked him if he wanted to come on the podcast and talk about the Arsenal. And he had a few and he said yes. I did. I did say yes. That is Adrian Dunbar, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Ted Hastings in the brilliant BBC series, Line of Duke. If you haven't seen it, you really should. Adrian, thanks for joining us. Not at all. I mean, I was out last night, I have to, it has to be said. So I didn't, I've only watched the highlights of that game. So I was spared. But, it's all right, uh, James has done enough. I will have an opinion. Yeah, <laughs> which is all we really want. Before we talk about last night, and God knows I'll be happy to put that off as long as possible, we thought that as we're joined by Adrian, who in the TV series, for those of you who don't know, plays a high-ranking policeman in a number of very stressful situations, we wondered if you could recruit one member of the Arsenal squad to AC12, who could definitely handle the stress? Who could step up? Essentially, we're looking for captains here, aren't we, Adrian? Yeah, I mean... I had to think about this. Probably Lee Dixon, I think, be, you know, he's very incisive, you know. And of course, it was all Dixon of Doc Green, of course, it was a big series back in the 1960s, you know, when I was a kid. <laughs> so I think uh, I've met Lee on a couple of occasions, and uh, I think he'd really be able to step up and fill those boots in AC12. Was it not on this podcast, James, that Lee Dixon talked about putting Mesut Ozil up against the wall? Uh, not that he was there at the time, but when we lost to Everton, Ozil lost his marker. So you sort of feel like he would be good at that sort of discipline. 
Yeah, that sounds about right. I don't recall it specifically, but it does feel like something Lee might say. So yeah, I think he would be able to he'd be able to play the bad cop when required. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was very good the other day when he was telling them, you know, you know, pull yourselves together, you know, stop, you know, when when Ben White came out and was a bit kind of bit doom and gloom about, you know, what had just happened the other day. So uh, I thought Lee was very good on that. I actually thought, by the way, that Ben White, I liked, I, I think he was more that he didn't really want to be in the room with the interviewer, <laughs> but I might well be wrong about that. James, who would um, who would be able to root out the bad apples in the dressing room? <laughs> I think Mikel Arteta's tried to spend about three years doing that. But um, <laughs> I was thinking about the qualities that make for a good detective, you know, so you need communication skills. Well, we've had a few players who spoke a good few languages. You need to be tenacious think outside the box, so someone who does their best work outside the penalty area and someone who sees things that other people can't. Yes. So I had to go for Cesc Fabregas, actually, because he oh. could see things that, you know, that nobody else on the pitch could. Who doesn't want a cobbler that's looking over their shoulder the whole time, just knowing what's around them? That's exactly. Yeah, Scanning yeah. all the time. I'm having Tony Adams. Obviously, he knows the criminal justice system, doesn't he, really, <laughs> from the inside. So I think Tony might actually work work best well yeah or Gilles Grimaldi <laughs> I should say I? at this point that uh, uh, Adrian on regular occasions when we're out and also now would mention Gilles Grimaldi he does hold a special place in your heart does he not he does he really does I I just loved him I, I, you know when he was playing you know he was like a no Paul he was able to make eight bows without getting there a yellow card he was fun <laughs> <laughs> no one's ever said any of that before this is Grimaldi it's his first in English football. PSV Eindhoven 2, Arsenal nil. Before we get to the game, actually, uh, we would like to send our best wishes to Pablo Mari, uh, currently on loan at Monza, who right now is receiving hospital treatment following a grim, grim stabbing incident in Italy. So we wish him all the best. PSV 2, Arsenal nil. Um, James, it's been coming, hasn't it, this well, I think so. I think so. If you look back at Arsenal's last four or five games, there have been signs that uh, this team is just beginning to just toil a little bit. And I think a bit of wear and tear is showing. I mean, Arsenal have selected a pretty consistent team in the Premier League. They haven't rotated hugely in the Europa League, haven't been able to really, haven't had the options and I think we're just seeing a bit of fatigue creeping in. There were some some pretty dodgy second halves against Leeds and Southampton. And then I think this was a fairly dodgy 90 minutes. The second half was worse than the first, but Arsenal didn't really turn up at all on the night. And it was a game PSV really needed to win to keep their hopes of qualification alive. One that Arsenal probably you know would have liked to win, but didn't need to. And it just felt like that psychological edge was always with Eindhoven. And they were well, well worthy winners in the end. Yeah. Adrian, should we be worried? I mean, it's the first Europa League loss of the season. Eighth game of nine this month. The squad is looking a bit knackered. Is this the start of the downward slide or we just, um, these things happen with a young team? I think we'd be right to be worried. I, I really do because things aren't going to get any easier, especially after Christmas. Suddenly you've got the League Cup coming up, stuff like that, extra games. So, I think they really do need to do something at this point because they are psychologically. There's two things that are happening. First of all, you know, young players, they're mostly young players. They have to realize that performance level 
consistently performance level is a hard thing to achieve. You know, you can win games, etc., but getting up their performance is, is uh, you know, that's a big thing. And they're starting to learn that, that, you know, you're top of the league, you've got to get up every time. There to be shot at, right? Yeah. And the squad is thin. Mm. I mean, you look around us, look at Chelsea, look at the depth of their squad. Is any... So much money, though, haven't they? Well, they well they have, you know. But but if you leave put, put that aside, just look at the practicalities of it. You know, we've got a thin squad. We need we need to do something about it. Things are not going to get any easier for this group of players. James, on that point, I mean, to a certain extent, is this more about expectations as well that we have overachieved? I mean, I've seen a bit of Twitter this morning, and obviously that is not the best judge of humanity. I think we can all agree that. But there's certainly people go. This is a disaster. And you think, is it a disaster? I mean, obviously it means that we have to play a full team against Zurich and then maybe we struggle against Chelsea and and that is, you know, that affects our Premier League position. But they are a young team and maybe they've overachieved up to this point and they were always going to slip at some point. Yeah, that's true. I wonder if maybe some of that feeling and that despondency is born out of recollections of last season when unfortunately this team or a very similar team to this had a habit of losing a couple of games in a row you know I think there were three occasions in the season where Arsenal they lost a game and then it took them three games to win another one uh you know when they we lost to Man United earlier this year and then we won eight in a row yeah very true and that's that would be a positive indicator but I just think to Adrian's point People are also looking at the performances and a slight sense of the intensity tailing off and wondering, you know, how are we going to be able to pull it round in order to sort of finish this half season on a high? I thought it was really interesting in his press conference last night, Mikel Arteta spoke about this being a reset point. He was like, you know, from now on we need to reset, which I completely understand from a psychological perspective, but it is Interesting, I think, for a guy who's the manager of the team, who's top of the Premier League, top of their Europa League group, to feel the need to talk about a reset point. And I do think that maybe shows that maybe results have been a little bit better than performances, probably since the Liverpool game. But I think you make a fair point, Ian. This is a kind of levelling out in some respects. I think Arsenal overperformed against expectation in those first 10 games of the season. It's kind of inevitable there'll be a drop-off. But I just think it would be a real disappointment after such a brilliant start to the season if we if we were to wobble at this stage. You know, I think it's you know half a dozen games or whatever it is until we break for the World Cup. I think it's yeah. really important that we focus up and get through to that point in the season because that gives an opportunity for tired legs to be rested, for Arsenal to potentially go into the transfer market, as you alluded to earlier on, and really attack that second half of the season. Because the schedule in the next few weeks, it doesn't get any easier. We talk about nine games in a month. It's not like we get into November and suddenly it's easy. There's four games in the space of a fortnight then too. So there's no time to rest, no time to recover, and they need to put it right quick. Well, look, the idea was, you can see what the idea, I mean, I, I mean, I look at that Bodo Glimp game away and I can see how that, you know, Arteta's idea was let's go there, let's put a full team out, let's win that game. We don't, we don't want to be playing the extra games, you know, we, we just don't need that. So that was the whole, the idea of it. But that game really took a lot out of the team. I think the travelling and all, all the rest of it really 
there was something happened there and uh, to get that win. We didn't want to go up there like Roma and get stuffed. A lot of teams go up there and get stuffed because of what, the, the, the nature of the pitch and, you know, the, the length, the, the travel time and all Did that. we underestimate that win then to a certain extent? Because I know a lot, a lot of people say, no, it's in Bodo Glimp, but they're unbeaten at home in 16 and we went there and we were fairly comfortable. I mean, there were a couple of chances, but that obviously you're saying that that was the moment really when things turned, you felt, if they have indeed. Yeah, I do believe that. And, and you know, from, from there, we've struggled in the second half of games. If we don't take our chances in the first half and put these teams away, I mean, obviously I'm thinking about, you know, like everybody, I've been watching Arsenal for a long, long time. And, you know, and when we're up and when we're running, we go to PSV and we win that game 1-0. And, you know, and now we're not having to play extra games. You know, the stress is obvious. The whole idea was to get to the World Cup, wasn't it? The whole idea was to get to that gap where the World Cup comes and, you know, rest players. There were certain players of ours that weren't going to the World Cup. We were keeping our fingers crossed they won't get picked. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know, and we'd get to that bit and it'd be, you know, so, but but that's not working. That's not how it's working. Uh, And uh, suddenly the squad looks a bit thin. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hello, it's Kate Borsay, Lindsay Hooper and Hayley McQueen here, otherwise known as The Offside Rule. We have a very special show. It's been 10 years of The Offside Rule. If you've been enjoying it over the last decade, you can get some extra insight. Yes, we have a really good chat about how the industry has changed in the 10 years and chat as well about some of the highs of recording a podcast as an only female trio in the football world and some of the lows as well. So join us for fun. We're also joined by Harriet Drudge and Laura Williamson from The Athletic. So check it out. That's The Offside Rule. I was wanted to talk briefly, James, about Sambi and Rob Holding, who were at fault for the first. Um, I mean, we understand that Aaron Ramsdale made a mess of the second. Goalkeepers make mistakes. He is prone to them, but we love him and, you know, we'll let it go, essentially. Um, but Sambi and Rob Holding for the first. If If even one of those players is replaced by their senior player, if you like, Gabriel and Thomas Partey. That goal doesn't happen, does it? So we can see the drop-off in front of us. Yeah, I mean, I said this uh, last night, but it's a tricky game to talk about individuals because I honestly thought 1-11, to they really struggled. And, you know, you mentioned Ramsdale. That that was a bad error, but there were errors made all up and down the pitch. All over the pitch, Um, But... I do think that uh, I thought particularly Sambi's performance 
and I wrote about that this morning, was illustrative of, you know, there are certain areas of the squad where I think the drop-off in quality is quite steep, quite sheer, essentially, from the first-choice player to the the one behind. And actually, although Ramsdale made a big mistake last night, I think potentially that is one of them goalkeeper. I think holding midfield from Thomas Partey to Lekonga, there's a, a bit of a gulf. And I think just Gabriel Jesus to Eddie Nketiah. Um, yeah. And those three positions are all through the spine of your team. And so, you know, when you don't have those players in there, um, I think we suffer for it. And Sambi is a player who, you know, he's a talented player, young player. He's 23 now. I, I don't know if he's developing necessarily at the pace we would like, and I'm not sure he's quite getting enough football to ensure he will make that development. So I think he's at a really interesting point in his career. You know, he spoke a couple of weeks ago about some of his frustrations about not playing enough. Mikel Arteta said, well, look, you need to show it on the pitch if you want to play more. I don't think there's any case that he did really show it last night. And yeah, I just wonder, he's lost his pace in the Belgian squad of late. I wonder over the coming months, you know, how he'll reflect on his his standing at Arsenal and he needs to turn things around, I think, if he's going to get more regular football, because at the moment he's not really credibly pushing the likes of Partey and Shaka for a starting place in the first eleven. No, he's not. And I mean, Adrian, I saw I saw a clip from I think it was the Amazon doc where Sambi's talking about not getting enough football, and Eddie and Ketty have slapped him about, saying, "Well, you know, not, you're not the only one." But I was interested when I saw that. I thought maybe that's indicative indicative of someone who just slightly thinks they're better than they are and thinks they deserve more than they're getting. And and it's not a good attitude to have, really. So he needs to shape up, doesn't he? He does need to shape up. And, you know, uh, was, you know, we, we have long-term injuries there that could, I, I you know, El Nenny should, you know, should have been playing there last night, really, you know, than Sambi. No, uh, I'm not sure whether he's going to make the grid either. I'm really yeah. Honest. I think I think you know there are people who have doubts. Bukayo Saka gets kicked a lot. I just saw Tim Stillman did a a post basically saying about how even when he gets really battered, they just get they might not even get booked. Um, he does take a lot of punishment, but James he takes people on all the time, doesn't he? That is really he gets out on a football pitch and he wants to take people on, and it's brilliant to have. But he's going to get uh, kicked about. Yeah, he's brave on the ball and his style of play means, you know, he's going to be on the receiving end of challenges. There was a really sort of egregious one last night where he was very clearly fouled and the referee, you know, sort of waved it away as if Saka had just chucked himself on the ground. I think, he, And he got booked at Southampton for diving he, as he well. He did indeed. And I think he's suffering a little bit um, from something a, a number of, you know, wide fast players have suffered from in the Premier League and elsewhere, which is that they travel at such speed. Uh, that when they receive contact, you know, it knocks them off balance or they go to ground. I think even sometimes, to be honest, they probably anticipate a bit and go to ground because they see the challenge coming in and they think, well, I'd rather avoid it than, uh, you know, get absolutely crunched and, you know, risk a serious injury. But I, unfortunately, it feels like the officials are slightly uh, taking a bit of a dislike to him and sort of dislikes maybe too strong, but I, I don't know if he's getting a, a fair crack of the whip in terms of the officiating. It does seem very odd. There were some very strange decisions made at St Mary's in the Southampton game around Saka, and obviously as Arsenal fans, 
it's a little bit it's hard alarming. to be objective, isn't it? It's hard to be objective, and it's it and is it's a bit concerning. Is he getting battered? I mean, I got a Tottenham mate who just did a post saying, "Oh, I've seen Saka going over when he's not getting touched." So I'm thinking, I guess it depends how you see it, but I certainly think he's getting kicked about. Do you feel the same way, Adrian? I do. I think he's. Uh... You know, the focus is on him at the moment. He's probably one of the best players that England's ever produced. And, uh, you know, he's well, no, absolutely. And he will continue to be so. So, I mean, it's in days of yore, you know, if uh, if he was playing for Man U, uh, Alex would have had a, a right go at everybody to kind of, you know, to, to look after him. aware of the scenario and what was happening. Maybe we need to talk about it a bit more. Maybe yeah. we need to raise it as a concern. You know, so that he does get a bit of protection because I do believe he has been, uh, he's not getting a fair crack of the whip. No. Having said all of that, we're still top of the group, two points ahead of PSV. If we beat the worst team in the group, Zurich, at the Emirates next Thursday, we've just got to match PSV's result. They're going to Bodo Glimp, by the way, and there's only one team that's won there in about 100 years. So, you know, we're, uh, uh, that's not an easy place to go. And we're home to the worst team. In the group, I know Granite Xhaka suspended for the game and he would never be left out uh, normally, Adrian, but we should have enough, even amongst some of the reserves, to beat Zurich at the Emirates. Yeah, no, no, we're going to get back on, on you know, we're going to beat, uh, you know, Forrest, we're going to beat Zurich. We've got that, That's going to happen. You know, we've got to get to this. I mean, we have a big game coming up against Chelsea. We got to get back up and, and running. Got to get the team's head straight again. You know, he's got to get in there. Right. dressing room and get the guys motivated again. Well, James, assuming that is the case and we've got and we win the two games that we think we're going to win, it's a two game it's well three if you include Brighton in the uh, Carabao Cup actually. It's a three game season after these two. Am I getting ahead of myself? <laughs> yeah, I like that that we've just assumed that's uh, we've got the <laughs> two wins in the Forest. Back. Can I just say it's Nottingham Forest at home and FC Zurich at home. If we can't beat them, we don't deserve to be in the Champions League. I mean, we definitely do not. And I don't care. I know you're tired, and but surely Mikel Arteta has just got to look at them and go. You need to run through some walls for me, lads. Five more, then you can go after the World Cup. I know you've been knackered, but nobody gives a sh about that, right? Yeah, can we pay your wages. Can you not just do that for us? Surely, James, he's got to be saying things like that to him. Oh, I imagine he's saying almost exactly that. Yeah, just with a Spanish accent. I, I, I um, <laughs> and diagrams. Yeah, and diagrams. No, I, I the fixture list couldn't have been much more kind in terms of you know having had the first defeat after a long run. If you were picking games that you would want, you know, Nottingham Forest at home. Yes, they've just beaten Liverpool, and they'll <laughs> they be should have lost by, by five. Well, there you go. And then Zurich, as you say have by and large been the worst team in the group. They were pretty dismal when we went there. It's pretty favourable. And then Chelsea is a massive game, as Adrian says. And I think that will be a real test because Arsenal have shown they've won uh, at home to Liverpool and Spurs. But when they went away to a big team, Manchester United, I actually thought they played pretty well on the day, but the result didn't go their way. I think if they could... One at Chelsea, one at Chelsea last year. One at Chelsea last year. But this season, I think if they could go to Stamford Bridge... And they, but remember, they went to Stamford Bridge last season under a bit of duress. Things weren't going their they way. Did. Produced yeah. a fantastic result. Eddie and Ketty with a couple of goals. I've got to say, I think getting the strikers back on the score sheet is a massive thing for Arsenal at this point in time. I agree. But Eddie and Jesus both need a goal. I agree. Two each on Sunday against Zurich, and then the same. Sorry, against Forest, and then the same again against Zurich, and that will sort them out. Uh, and then they'll be ready for the uh, the next bit of the season. This is Handbreak Off, the Arsenal podcast, brought to you by the Athletic. Mm-hmm. 
This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. We were a bit uh, with the handbrake at time. Ian Stone, Jasmine Nicholas, and our special guest Adrian Dunbar on handbrake off. When did you start watching Arsenal, Adrian? I started watching Arsenal in the 1970s. I mean, 71, of course, was the uh, you know the big year. And decent, decent year to start. Decent year to start and get involved with football. Yeah, so, I mean, I came from a small town in Northern Ireland, all my cousins and uh, everybody supported Manchester United. Obviously, Georgie had a lot to do with that, and uh, or Liverpool. And uh, so, you know, Arsenal came along and I thought, I like this team. This Charlie George guy looks good. He's a bit cool. I looked at, you know, McClintock. There was something about that team, the personality of that team, I think. Yeah. Personality, that was the thing. It had genuine personality. And uh, so I started watching Arsenal from that point. And, uh, and yeah. then they, um, then obviously for the next 10 years, there's a lot of Irish boys in the team as well. Oh, I mean, unbelievable. You know, Pat Jennings and Pat Rice and Sammy Nelson, David O'Leary, Liam Brady, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yes, the genius of Liam Brady, of course. And uh, you Was know, he the one for you or was it Charlie George was the one for you? Was no, it was, you it was Charlie George. It was, the, it was the London aspect of the team that I really liked. I really kind of thought, you know, this is a London team, proper, you know, gritty. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, that, that's the kind of aspect about Arsenal that I've always really liked. And uh, the Irish influence, of course, was amazing uh, beyond that in the 1970s, all the way to that incredible seven players that were playing in 79 in the five-minute final. And, uh, you know, which was just the most incredible day out ever. Yes, it was. You know, if you were an Arsenal <laughs> supporter, especially in Northern, Northern Ireland, you know. So, uh, but yeah, that's when I started, uh, really, it was back then I got myself the, you know, the famous shirt and kind of, you know, and uh, there weren't many of us uh, about in Northern Ireland, um, you know, Arsenal supporters. And there's a tiny little clutch of us in my hometown of Inniskillen. There's a few of them actually are going to be at the Forest game, which is interesting. We're going to meet right. that. So, you know, I really like the team. And of course, then I, I came to London as a, uh, you know, as an actor at the Guildhall and I didn't have any dough, so I couldn't go to the games initially, but then started going to the games and going to the North Bank and just getting involved and was, you know, through George <laughs> and into Arsene Wenger and, you know, just the the fun of all that period, which is of living off. I, and actually, you know, you have to hand it to this this group of players. They've given us that back. You know, the, the, the stick found its voice again. For people of my age, it's like kind of, you know, it's like going returning to your youth, hearing the stadium rocking like it is at the moment, you know. And uh, 
And that's why we're all so desperate for it to kind of continue. I mean, you know, we want this group of players to do well. We want them, you know, to fulfill their potential. And, uh, you know, we're happy with what Arteta's doing. He seems to, you know, and, and Edu as well, you know, that combination suddenly. Because we were used to that in the past. We were used to Wenger and David Dean. We're used to this kind of solid... And that's the thing about Arsenal as well. It's a very solid, old-school club. And, you know, I love that about it. And I love the yeah. fact that it hasn't been pulled this way and that way, that those things remain the same within the club and how people feel about it. James, I mean, that, I mean that's so many people's stories as well, you know, mm -hmm. the, the, the way that, the, uh, that they fell in love with the club. I mean, I was, you know, uh, Adrian was uh, Charlie George. I was Liam Brady. I mean, who was the one for you, just by the way? Well, it was a bit later, really. It would have been sort of uh, early 90s. So it was Ian Wright was my absolute hero. Um, Decent choice. Yeah. Though. Uh, he And, you know, I fell in love with him as a player as much as the club in some ways. Uh, I remember when he left and went to West Ham, I was absolutely inconsolable. But, uh, yeah, he's uh, been a huge part of my Arsenal story. And then absolutely spoiled, as Adrian says, by the Wenger years, which were fantastic. And I agree entirely that... You know, although we haven't scaled those heights yet in terms of success, in terms of the ambience, the atmosphere, the feel around the club, as we've been mm. saying all season, it's as positive now as it's been for quite a long time. For years, for years and years. And so that being said, I mean, we are building something. Edu, I think it was good that you mentioned Edu, uh, Adrian. He, I mean, there was a little bit of talk about he's possibly being poached. Directors of football now are being get poached. Like, but this is just agent nonsense, isn't it? I mean, why? Why? Where could he possibly go? I mean, obviously he could get more money elsewhere. But what? What would be the point of him leaving Arteta's side at this point? I don't know what the point would be. I don't. The point would be of anybody wanting to leave. What's happening at Arsenal at the minute? No. I mean, you know. Or I don't see what the point, I mean, there can't be any arguments of joining Arsenal at the minute either. You know, I mean. Well, that being the case, let's talk then about where we need to strengthen. I mean, myself and Adrian and Art had this conversation last week. James, apparently there's a, I don't want to say war chest, but that's what it is. It's a war chest, right? It's, that's what clubs get when they're ready to go. And they've been given £50 million pounds or something, or they're going to be given £50 million. Where do we spend that money, James, in the January transfer window I'm talking about? I think I spoke a little bit about midfield earlier on, and I, I still think that'll be a big focus. You know, they tried to sign Douglas Louise right at the death of the deadline He's staying with Aston Villa, recently signed a new contract there, but I still think they'll go back for someone in that position in the centre of midfield. I think we're very light. Uh, and I think, for me, another attacking player, someone who maybe could play out wide, but also through the middle, just as another option. I know Emil Smith-Rowe still to come back, but I still think we are light there too. So they would be the two that I would be looking at first and foremost, some sort of wide attacking player and a, a central midfielder. Is fifty million enough, James, for that? Really, for what we're looking for to upgrade or to at least match what we've got? Yeah, I think it depends how you look at it and what that figure actually entails. I mean, they were bidding up to thirty million for Louise on deadline day, and that deal didn't happen. So you could assume that money's in the bank there to be used. I mean, obviously, it's the salaries that you've got to put on top of that. That you know, does that 50 million figure, that mooted 50 million figure, which uh, I don't know if it's correct or not, but would it include salaries and transfer fees? You'd have to hope I can't not. Imagine. Yeah, would. exactly. So 
To be honest, I doubt it's as rigid as that. I doubt there is a number. I suspect the case is that if Arsenal find themselves in a strong position in January, you know, if they can keep up this fight at the top of the table, if the owners look at that and think, we've got a real chance here to kick on and do something really significant this season, I think they'll release as much money as, you know, the financial restrictions permit them to. And I mean that both in terms of a little bit the economics, but also FFP and things like that that they have to consider. But I I can see a scenario where Arsenal say, you know, we've had such a good first half of the season. We are light. This is the time to go for it. If you look at how KSE run their other teams, you know, their other franchises in America and their NFL team, there is evidence there there is precedent of them saying we've got an opportunity to do something now let's spend and push for it so I don't preclude that happening at Arsenal and that's why I think these next few weeks could be really important because they sort of set up what's to play for in the second half of the season yeah Adrian what about you I mean I think I'd have to agree with James really a forward and uh, uh, or a forward player and a midfielder anything else you think we might need or yeah yeah forward play I mean you know, the fans are pretty I remember a few years ago a few guys remember Van Bommel <laughs> yes I do remember that scenario where we, we where we all realised that what we needed was somebody like Van Bommel in the middle of the park who was able to put their foot in the bar a bit of an enforcer we just felt a bit weak in the middle of the thing I think we need a midfielder I think you know, I wouldn't be looking for someone who's young and up and coming either. You know, I think at this point, you could also bring in somebody who's got a lot of experience, who's willing to kind of, you know, who's a really tried and trusted player in the midfield, uh, also a go forward player. But there are players out there, I, I don't know, but we do need to strengthen the squad. Probably. They must have. They must have noticed this. I mean, Ed, who and Mikel Oteta must have talked about this a million times. Yeah. I, I think we are all a little bit scar- scarred by the five years when Arsene Wenger didn't buy a holding midfield player, even though everyone in the stadium knew that we need a holding midfield player and possibly a new goalkeeper as well. I think some of us who've been there for a while see that. Yeah. But these two don't seem like they're in that mould. They, they, as you said, James, they they must see an opportunity at this point. And if the and I guess the other thing is if the player becomes available, we haven't named any particular ones. I don't think I know them, but if it's the right player, isn't it, James? They know what they want, but they got to get them. Yeah, and uh, typically historically, January, you know, people talk about it as a tricky time to do business. There's not a huge amount of activity. I really strongly think that this January will be a bit different. I think it will be more fluid. I think there'll be more business done. I think that's partly because it's a longer break. You've got the World Cup there, which always is a bit of a catalyst to a number of players moving. And I think as well, clubs are more mindful maybe than ever of you know the, the fact that their players are fatigued and they're going to be going into the second half of the season, a lot of them with heavy legs and with that could come injury. So I think it will be busy January and I expect Arsenal to be active and trying to do deals. They must be looking at this squad and know they're one or two light. You know, even if they've got, however many players they've got, it feels like there are only 14 or so that Mikel Arteta, you know, really trusts and wants to pick. And that's not enough to sustain you across a full season. It's not, 
City have 18, because I counted. Yeah. And City, that's how Pep Guardiola, he has another five or six who are happy just to bounce around the squad, but he has 18 who you go, oh yeah, he's brilliant. And so Yeah, and you don't, exactly. that's exactly right. I don't think you need 25, 30 or anything like that, but 18 that you can rotate in and out and it doesn't cost you enormously, that's a pretty strong position to be in. That's where City are and that's where Arsenal have got to aspire to be. Nottingham Forest at home, we won't talk about it much, but I mean, obviously it's slightly unseasonable weather in London. So I'm assuming it's going to be like one of those early season stroll in the parks when we get, you know, four or five or something and our forwards fill their boots. Adrian? <laughs> yes, well, uh, you know, that's what I really, you know, we're all hoping for that. I have to say, though, Forest, uh, John Owen, who uh, is a friend of mine because he's uh, Vicky's partner, is uh, is on the board at Forest. So I'll be with right. him that day and with, with Mr. Warren. And they're really quick. They're fast. And that's the thing that we uh, have got really, really keep our eye on, the fact that they are fast. They're not that, you know, in the last third. They're not that that good in the last third. But they are fast. They've come off. You know, we're, we're going to have to step up. We can't take it as a, as a gimme. No. Well, we remember what happened no. when we played Forest in the Cup last season. I mean, it's a very different team and we're at home this time. But we certainly owe them one after that. Yes, and also, I mean, I watched that game against Liverpool, and, and they really should have lost by four or five. It's just all the all the chances fell to Virgil Van Dijk, and he's not quite the finisher that we thought he might be. But in the end, they will give up chances. But they also had chances against Liverpool as well. And as Adrian said, James, they do break quickly. They do, and and they. I, I listen. They've got a manager that I really rate. I think Steve Cooper is an excellent coach. Um, yeah, you know, and. and they seem to be finding a bit of form after quite a chaotic start to the season with so many new signings. But as I said earlier, if you were picking a Premier League team to come to the Emirates Stadium, you know, newly promoted Nottingham Forest off the back of a defeat, it does feel like it's very well set up for us. So hopefully we can improve. I mean, it's that interesting time of the season where the games come so thick and fast. They come back, you know, they've got a day's recovery a day's preparation and they're playing. There's not a huge amount of work you can do on the training ground. It's not that you could be out there, you know, no. practicing anything particularly new. You just got to hope the players, it clicks for them a bit better than it has because in terms of tactical preparation, there's very, very little time for Mikel. All right. Before we um, we head off, uh, we'll never speak of the PSV game again. Okay. I think it's best if we just let that one go. We do a song, Adrian. What we do, not we don't do a song, we pick a song. Oh, yeah. Uh, I know that you are, you can sing, but we're, we're not asking you for that. We just uh, pick a song to give us the sort of the mood, the vibes. We are Vibes FC. So we, we pick a song. I, I'll tell you what, uh, Adrian, you go first and give us the sort of example that we're looking for. Well, you know, I think Ray Davis, the Kinks, raising on a Sunday afternoon. I'd really like to hear that before the game. And uh, just to get us all in a nice kind of, you know, relaxed mood, a 3-0, you know, all the boys down in the corner celebrating kind of vibe. That would be lovely, wouldn't it? Uh, James, what you got? Well, I, I think it's a big deal for Arsenal that they're back at home on Sunday at the Emirates Stadium. You know, they've had a few tricky away trips, talked about Norway, obviously Eindhoven, Southampton, Leeds. Um, so I picked a song called Home. It's by uh, Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros. Yeah, and it's home because I'm looking forward to the Arsenal coming home on Sunday. 
Yeah, no, because it's fun now, isn't it? We like being there. Um, One more mention of last night, actually, before we go, because I've been running up that hill, because that's what (laughs) it looked like. That pitch, by the way, was absolutely rubbish, wasn't it? I mean, it was a terrible... I'm not blaming it. They both had to play on on that pitch, but that was terrible. Yeah, running up that hill, Kate Bush, because that's what it looked like our players uh, were doing for most of the evening last night. Anyway, that's it. Uh, Adrian, thanks so much for coming on. Not at all. I hope I was reasonably coherent. Adrian Dunbar, reasonably coherent, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much. And James, thank you. And uh, see you soon. And thanks to Guy, our producer. I'm Ian Stone. This has been Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. See ya. 